This morning we are in week four. Week four of our series called Unstoppable. I hope you've been watching online uh, through the first uh, three weeks of this sermon series as we've looked at this, this movement that started through the resurrection of Jesus. And in week one, we kind of looked at how we are a, a people gathered. We're not a building, we're not a place, but we are gathered uh, to a movement uh, under Jesus Christ. We looked at the power of the church the next week and how, how did the church thrive through 2,000 years of strife and hardship and persecution? And the answer is because there is a unique power the church has through the Holy Spirit and through the proclamation of the gospel. And then we looked at how we are a unified community um, where we don't forsake gathering together. It is something we cherish and treasure because Christ died for this community. He died to establish it. And so we don't forsake it. And this morning, we are going to be looking at how, through the gospel, the church is a diverse people. And trying to answer questions like, what does God expect from us when it comes to diversity? And how does the gospel move us toward greater diversity? So grab your Bible, go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Um, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's one that I referenced in week two when I preached about the power of the church and the Holy Spirit. This is the moment the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. That's what we see in Acts chapter 2. And if you'll remember, Jesus has promised that this moment was going to come. If you back up to John 14 and 15 and 16, he just keeps telling his disciples, the helper is going to come. The teacher is going to come. I'm going to send the help. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1, he tells his disciples, he said, you're about to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when that happens, you're going to then go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the way to the end of the earth. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is those promises come to fruition. And in Acts chapter 2, the first four verses, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. There's this sound like a mighty rushing wind and the tongues of fire descend on the disciples. And, and we see them begin to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 5 of Acts chapter 2. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, that, that's the sound of the mighty wind, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Let's pray. Father, would you illuminate your word this morning? God, would you just illuminate your word for us? It is what we need. It is what our hearts need. It is what our lives need. Your word is powerful. It is strong. It is mighty. It is active. It is perfect. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would open our eyes to hear your voice and do your work in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So what I want us to kind of see from God's word this morning is that the, desi- the desire that God has for the church from the very beginning, from this moment in Acts chapter 2, was not necessarily uniformity. It wasn't that we would be exactly the same, but rather unity in the midst of diversity. And uniformity and unity are not the same. Uniformity means we became exactly identical. Unity means we locked arms even though there were differences. And I think what we're going to discover this morning is God's desire for the church is not uniformity, but rather unity in the midst of diversity. I do not believe Jesus desires that we would all be the same or talk the same or look the same, but he does desire that we would be unified in our diversity. And so there are three things that I think we're going to find in God's word today that are going to help establish this idea for us of gospel diversity. And the first one I think we see right here in Acts chapter two, I want us to see the origin of gospel diversity. Where does it begin? What I would tell you is that our heritage as a community, as a gathering, our roots as a church are nothing less than a recognition of and and a celebration of diversity. If you look at verse 5 of Acts chapter 2, it says this, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, and where were they from? Every nation under heaven. From all over the planet, these people had gathered. And Luke goes on in verse 9 and 10 and 11 to list all those places, but I'm not going to read them again because I feel like I did a really good job the first time. I don't want to mess them up. And so, but we see this list. And if you were to map that list out, here's what you find. That encompasses virtually the entire Roman kingdom, the entire uh, Parthian kingdom. And why does that matter? Because while they were all Jews, they all represented very different cultures. They spoke different languages. They had varying skin colors. They ran in different social circles. They came from different places economically. And yet the Holy Spirit fell on them together. Fell on them. This is something I find incredibly important. That the first moment the Holy Spirit moves in the church, the first moment the promise comes true, the helper comes, the power falls. That first moment the Holy Spirit moves in the church, it is a culturally, racially, economically, and socially diverse experience. That is incredibly important to me. And that is our heritage. There is gospel diversity in our roots. And what I love is that while the Holy Spirit aided in communication, right? He, he helped them understand. He aided in communication. He didn't erase the differences. What do I mean by that? I mean that the Holy Spirit didn't cause all of these people from all over the world to suddenly be able to speak the language the disciples spoke. But instead, he caused the disciples to be able to speak the language everybody else spoke. What a cool moment, right? I love that he didn't erase the differences. He worked in them. He worked, he celebrated those differences. What's the point? The point is, I think gospel diversity is not a forfeiting of our uniqueness, but a celebration of it. It's a celebration of our uniqueness. I love how people, 
are so interested in their family line and their heritage, right? I know I am. I want to know who I am. Where did, who are my people? Where did we come from? You know, what did we do? Did anybody do anything awesome? Anybody do anything worth remembering? Anybody do anything I don't want people knowing about? I got a lot of that in my family line. Got some nonsense. I got some knuckleheads back there, I found out. <laughs> and so, uh, but if you were to, if Ancestry.com were to do a genealogy and follow the family line of the church, you know what they'd find? It would be the most diverse family line in history. That's what you would find. It would be the most diverse line in history. Why? Because there is gospel diversity in our roots. Because what the Spirit created that day, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, when he fell, what he created was not a creed. He didn't create a, a theology, didn't create a bunch of doctrines. What he created was a covenant community that was dynamic and diverse. That's what he made. So there is gospel diversity in our roots. And here in Acts chapter 2, we start to see this glimpse, right, of this diversity. We begin to get a picture of what God is doing, but I don't think we see the whole picture, right? God is moving his, toward diversity. His intention is diversity, but we don't have the full picture yet. What we have is diversity, but it's in the midst of homogeny. What do I mean by that? I mean, while we see different nationalities, we see different races, we see different languages being spoken, what we also see is that all of these men were Jews. These are all Jewish men, right? And so there is some regional diversity. There's some of this socioeconomic diversity, even some racial diversity. But listen, oddly enough, those weren't the biggest walls for the early church. Economic separation, racial separation, these weren't the things that were the biggest hurdles for the early church. The biggest wall for the early church was the one that stood between Jew and Gentile. That was the biggest wall. And for Jews, it was an insurmountable wall. And so what we begin to see now as we begin to move through the book of Acts is this wall that stands between Jews and Gentiles. God begins to tear down and the gospel begins to spread beyond Jerusalem and Judea. Because what did Jesus say in Acts 1? He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you're going to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, then Samaria, and then where? To the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. And so what we begin to see is the outworking of the gospel. It begins to go beyond the Jews to the Gentiles, and that's what I want us to see next. There's the origin of gospel diversity. Here's the second point, and that is the outworking of gospel diversity. When you look at the narrative of the entire book of Acts, here's what you find. The, the church was thriving. In those first nine chapters of Acts, the church is thriving. It is growing. There are hundreds and thousands being added daily to the body, but it is doing that almost exclusively among the Jews. It's growing among the Jews, but something shifts in Acts chapter 10. Something begins to change in Acts chapter 10, and in Acts 10 we see the outworking of the gospel begins to move toward the Gentiles. And who were the Gentiles? These were the non-Jews who were considered uh, far from God, too far from God. They were considered unclean and, and unfit to be grafted in with the people of God. And suddenly, uh, God begins to go 
and reach the Gentiles. And I want you to see what he does to bring them in to the faith family. Go to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, here's what we're going to find. God is going to use two visions. He's going to use two visions to begin to expand and extend the gospel to the Gentiles. The first vision is to a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a, a, a godly man, said he feared God. He worshiped God. He gave alms generously to the poor. He prayed. He was a faithful guy, but Cornelius was a Gentile. And one day God gives Cornelius a vision. And in the vision, an angel comes to Cornelius and says, Cornelius, God has seen your faithfulness. And he wants you to send three men to Joppa, the city of Joppa, and they're going to get Peter and bring him back to your house. That's the vision that Cornelius has. Cornelius doesn't know Peter, doesn't know him, from, but he has this vision. And the angel says, send three men to Joppa to get Peter. So he does that. Cornelius is faithful. So he obeyed. He sends three men to Joppa. It says the very next day, around lunchtime, Peter has a vision. He was really hungry, and so he had a vision, which typically is what happens to me as well. And so he has a vision, right? And while these three men are coming to him, God gives him a vision. And in Peter's vision, he sees what it says, something like a sheet that is coming down from heaven. And on that uh, sheet are all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds. And I want you to see what God's word says. And look at Acts chapter 10, verse 13. It says, and there came a voice to him that said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, listen, this may seem like Peter is being defiant. And if you know the character of Peter, you know that he's not above being <laughs> defiant. But it's important we understand that Peter is a devout Jew. He has never eaten anything that was forbidden by the Mosaic law. And being told to kill and eat these animals is causing him to battle centuries of what it meant to be faithful to God and to keep his covenant with God. But what he didn't know that we know was God was beginning to do a new thing. And I want you to see what God says in verse 15. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. I don't believe for a moment that the primary point of this vision for Peter had anything to do with food. I think rather God was preparing his heart. He was doing something. He was trying to pull scales off his eyes. He was trying to show him, I'm about to do a new thing. I think he was saying, there is something you have called uh, unclean that I call clean. There's something you have called unfit that I embrace and that I love. There's something you have called um, common that I call beautiful now. And he's beginning to do this work in Peter's heart. And if we go fast forward just a few more verses, we begin to see what this looks like. So Cornelius has the vision, goes and gets Peter. Peter has the vision. He goes with the men that Cornelius sent. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter gets to his house. And here's what it says. And he said to them, Peter's talking, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. 
But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Now, the reason I read those verses is because I don't want us to lose how tense this moment had to be, how awkward this moment had to be. <laughs> Essentially, here's what Peter's saying. He's saying that according to the law, which I keep, I shouldn't even be in this house, right? He's saying that I have called you unclean. I have called you common. I've called you less than. I've called you unfit. Put that conversation in our historical context of racism and imagine having that conversation with someone of an opposite race where you are laying out that you have called them something they shouldn't be called. That's, that's, the, that's how tense this moment was. Cornelius has his whole family in the house and Peter's like, okay, by law I shouldn't be here and I've called every one of you unfit to belong to God. Welcome, Peter. Glad you're here. You know what I mean? But there is something in the outworking of gospel diversity that while it is uncomfortable, while it can be hard work, while it can be awkward, while it may feel unsafe because we don't know how it's going to work out, it is completely worth it because it is God's desire and his design for the church. And this moment that Peter has with Cornelius is a kingdom-shaping moment in the history of the church. Because what happens next is going to reverberate throughout the rest of the book of Acts, even into the epistles that Paul writes. Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius and his family. And look at what happens in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. All right? It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, the first time that's happened. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why was this an earth-shattering moment? Because they experienced salvation and the Holy Spirit in the same way Peter and the disciples did in Acts chapter 2. This was a, a life-altering moment for Peter because he would go on to talk about it in Acts 11 and in Acts chapter 15 when he's before the council and he's telling them, that they received the gift of the Holy Spirit just like we did, but they didn't have to be circumcised. He's saying they didn't have to become Jews. They didn't have to embrace all of our traditions and forfeit all of theirs. He said, in other words, they, they didn't have to become like us to become one of us. Think about that for a moment. Peter said they didn't have to become like us to become one of us. That's a powerful statement. This is a cornerstone truth for us as we begin to work out gospel diversity. I think too often the church and the history of the church, and I know even in my own heart, if I'm being transparent, we, we say that in order for, for you to be one of us, you must become like us. You've got to embrace what 
we embrace. And if you adopt what we do and how we do it and forfeit what you were doing, then you can belong to us. But this moves, that viewpoint moves directly against the gospel. The outworking of the gospel does not produce uniformity. It produces unity in diversity. And listen, this isn't just a race issue, even though it certainly includes that. It's an economic issue. It's a, it's a social status issue. It's a cultural issue. And it's all of those things because in the end, it's an Imago Dei issue. It's in an image of God issue. And the gospel is always, the gospel is always going to produce in us a pursuit of and a love for the image of God. It is always going to do that. And if you find yourself in a place where you are unable to love and value someone else because they look different, act different, have different things, but even believe a different thing. If you find yourself unable to value another human being because of that, that is not on them. That's a gospel issue in our heart. Because the gospel, when it is at work in me, it produces something in me that wants to pursue and love the image of God. Embracing gospel diversity is going to move us to see and treasure the image of God in others and to value that. We kind of begin to see in diversity, we begin to see the fuller picture of God's creative nature and the beauty, not just in what keeps us the same, but the beauty in our differences. Pastor Todd talked about it like this earlier this week. He said, it's like a it's like a bouquet of flowers, all different flowers. He said, you have all these flowers in this beautiful bouquet, and they're different. They, they look different. They have different colors and different fragrances, and they're different heights, and they all look different. And when you pull one out and look at it by itself, it's really beautiful. But when you put it together, it's actually this beautiful picture of creativity and God's work and creative nature. It's something that it couldn't be alone. You know, at our house, it's like this. We, we're very, very musical at our house. We do lots of singing. And uh, so sometimes my boys will be working on parts for their choir, whatever they're participating in. It's happened with Kelsey before. It's done it with me too. And sometimes you get a part CD or you get a, some part music, and it's just your part that you need to learn. I don't know if anybody's ever done this before. And so what will happen is for weeks and weeks on end, they'll be walking around singing one line, singing one line. And it's over and over again. Now, we like hearing that line. I like it. I enjoy it. But that line is all I know of the song they're working on. But then we go to the concert. Then we get to go to the concert, and suddenly they're grafted in to 40 or 50 other people who've been working on their one line. And now that one line that I enjoyed by itself becomes this powerful musical experience when it is grafted in to become something it can never be on its own. That is the picture of what God wants to do through diversity in the church. Our experiences as a spiritual family are enhanced. They're enriched by diversity in the body. This is what it does. It moves us to be grafted together together in this God-glorifying 
Imago Dei loving, unstoppable church. That's the outworking of gospel diversity. I want you to see how Paul describes it. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the Gentiles, and he is reminding them that at one time they were far from God and they were separated from the family of faith. These very Gentiles that we see come to faith when Peter preaches in Acts 10, Paul is writing this letter to them and he is saying, there was a time you were far from God. You weren't a part of this family. You were considered less than. And look at what he says in Ephesians 2, verse 13. He said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been what? You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Christ has broken down the wall of hostility. And in him, that which seemed so far apart, that which seemed like it could never be reconciled, that which seemed like it was so far and so misunderstood, it can never be brought together as one, is actually brought together. Because in Christ, what separates us is torn down so that we become a new race, and that race is called one in Christ. This is something that we cannot do on our own. This is something that the gospel has to do in us. It is something that flows from us because of the work of the gospel in us. And listen, it doesn't come easy. Think about Peter for just a moment. Peter was a disciple. He walked with Jesus. He heard every word he taught. He saw his miracles. Peter was there in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell, so he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet what we know about Peter is this continued to mess him up on into his ministry. Because if you know, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes that there was a time where he had to confront Peter to his face. Because here's what Peter would do. He would be one way around the Gentiles. He would act like everything was cool until his Jewish brother showed up. Then you know what would happen? He'd push away from him. He'd be distant toward him. He would keep him at arm's length. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, I had to confront him to his face. Why do I say that? Because even believers in Jesus Christ, we got to acknowledge that we're not perfect at this. That we, that we need to grow in this, that we all have this issue in us to some degree, and we recognize that it is not an issue that's going to self-correct, but rather it's an issue that has to be transformed by the outworking of the gospel. So we've seen the origin, right, of gospel diversity. Now the outworking of gospel diversity. Here's the last thing I want you to see. That's the outcome of gospel diversity. What's the result of the gospel doing this work in us and doing this work through us? I think we see it in the book of Revelation. We see it in that glimpse of heaven that John gets when he, got, when he has that vision of heaven. If you look at Revelation chapter 7 and start in verse 9, John has this vision of the throne of God. And look at what he says. He said, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation 
belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the vision of heaven. When John looked around the throne of God, what did he see? What did he hear? He saw every nation, every nation. He saw every tribe. He saw all peoples. And listen, he heard all languages. And they were joined together. They were unified and lifting their voice. What I love about that is that that picture of what he saw, that, that picture of gospel diversity, it tells me that in heaven there isn't a loss of ethnicity or culture, but rather a celebration of it. Heaven is going to be culturally and ethnically diverse. And listen, if this is true, if that's true, then why wouldn't the church of Jesus Christ, which, listen, is the dress rehearsal for heaven, why wouldn't we work to make that true right here among us? What did Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer when he was teaching his disciples how to pray? What did he say? He said, you need to pray this. Let your will be done on earth like it is where? In heaven. He said, when you pray, you pray, God, make what I do in my life as much like what is happening in heaven as it can be. That's the, that's the goal. That's the outcome of gospel diversity. In the, in the midst of all the strife from racism or gender inequality or social bias, whatever it is, know this, the gospel is working toward an end where all people, no matter where we come from or what separates us, all people will be one in Christ. That is the outcome of gospel diversity. So the question we immediately have to ask ourselves is this. What do we do? What do we do? How do we wage war against the prejudices or the biases that we have in our hearts? If this is going to be what we pursue collectively as a church, then what adjustments do I need to make in my heart individually to be a part of that? How do I evaluate, honestly, the condition of my own heart? Three things I want to tell you very quickly. First is this. Be honest about where you are. Be honest about where you are. Right? We all have to recognize that we have blind spots. I do. I have blind spots. And I need to acknowledge that I have blind spots. Be honest about where we are. This was still an issue in Peter's life after he was a Holy Spirit-filled, seasoned minister. It was still an issue. We've got to be honest with ourselves that we haven't perfected this. I think about that prayer uh, that David prayed in Psalm 139. Do you remember at the very end where he says, this is my prayer. Search me, O God, and know my what? My heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And then here's where it got dangerous. And see if there is anything wicked in me. That feels like a dangerous prayer, doesn't it? Man. But that's, that's the level of honesty that I think the gospel calls us to in this area. Be honest about where you are. Here's the second thing. We've got to be intentional in our relationships. Be intentional in our relationships. Be intentional with who you engage uh, with. Seek people out who, who are different than you, right? Who think differently than you, who have different cultural experiences than you. What if, now I know this is a crazy thought, what if... 
you built a friendship with someone who politically was on the opposite end of the spectrum than you. What if we did that? What would happen? Right? It feels crazy, right? Because if you're like me, you love the comfort of not of everyone seeing things the way you see it. Of everyone having the shared experiences that you have. Why? Because it's not work to maintain those relationships. But what if we were intentional to include people who didn't see the world the way we saw it, who didn't have the same experiences, who came from different places and different ethnicities and different cultures, and we were intentional in those relationships. So be honest, be intentional. Here's the last one, be open. Be open. What do I mean by that? When you build those relationships with people who have different cultural experiences, who think different than you do, give them permission to speak into your life. And make sure you have permission to speak into theirs. What do we call that? We call it accountability. We call it sharing our lives. Be open. Be ready to listen. And let God do a work. Be honest. Be intentional. And be open. Let's pray. Lord, I love your word. And uh, even on days when it challenges me beyond what I'm comfortable with. And so, Father, I, I just pray that today as you have moved us and pressed us and pushed us, um, God, that your word would grab a hold of us and keep us until we are walking in obedience to this. And Father, I long for the day when we are around the throne of heaven with every language, culture, nation, tribe, and people, and we are singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain and salvation belongs to our God. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until then, God, make us more like heaven. Your kingdom come and your will be done. We ask that in Jesus' great name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey.